The Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 5. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the best out of your garden with me, Richard Farrer. And me, George Munford. In this episode, we'll be talking about the RHS Hampton Court Flower Show 2013. We'll have an interview with Chris Beardshaw, who talks about one of his gardens and a few other gardens he's designed this year. And we'll also talk about the Tatton Park Flower Show in Cheshire. Our plant of the month for August is Helenium Morum Beauty. The perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other this month, are Aringium borgatii and Achillea millifolium red velvet. We'll have jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden, and two plants of note this month are Acanthus mollis and Dicentra king of hearts. Now, George, before we move on and talk about the uh, the two flower shows that we've uh, attended or I've attended this last month, last time we talked about jasmine and the tracul... Help me out. George, how, how do I pronounce this? Tracalospernum jasminoides. Yeah, we got ourselves in a bit of a, a, a pickle there, didn't we? Yeah. Because you started talking about that. I went off on a tangent talking about my jasmine in the garden, and I think we might have confused a few listeners. That's right. So one of our plants of interest last month was Tracalospernum jasminoides. And as you say, we went off on a bit of a tangent when you started talking about the uh, jasminum that you have in your own garden. And we never really got back to Tracalospernum jasminoides. Jasminoides meaning it's a bit like it has jasmine-like qualities, but, but the actual genus is Tracalospernum. Yeah, so it's not actually a jasmine, but it looks a little bit like one, behaves a bit That's like That's right, one. yes. And, yeah. um, and we talked about my jasmine and it not flowering. We went out and had a look, and it has since flowered. Not spectacularly so, but it has flowered. So hopefully next year we'll get a, a bigger flush of flowers on the plant. Yeah, and we talked about um, being careful not to prune off the wood that's about to flower because they are very vigorous and it's very tempting to prune off the shoots that are getting too long. And we said that you just have to leave them sometimes, otherwise you're going to cut off the wood that's going to flower. It can be tempting, can't it, to prune them, but uh, hold back and uh, next year you'll be rewarded. Yes, that's right, Richard. So Hampton Court and Tatton Park are the two flower shows that occurred in July this year. Um, I went to both of them. Unfortunately, George, you couldn't make it because you're busy gardening. That's right. (laughs) I I always like RHS Hampton Court, although this year I was a little bit disappointed. It, It was a bit confusing because they've changed the layout. They've gone for a layout which has got three sections, the Grow, Inspire and Escape. The Grow section incorporates the main floral marquee and then some of the show gardens where I always used to know where they were are now dotted around and instead of them all being in sort of blocks where you've got the conceptual gardens in one area, the main show gardens in another and small show gardens in another, 
they're kind of mixed up a little bit. And that, to me, was a little bit confusing. And Joanne, one of our friends, she came with us this year, helping with the photographs and recording of interviews. She'd never been before, but she found it a little bit confusing compared to Chelsea. So it's, um, I know they've got to try these things, but unfortunately I, I don't think that worked terribly well. But we during the show, we did catch up again with Chris Beardshaw. We seemed to catch up with him at every show. And we talked to him a bit about his garden. He exhibited at Chelsea this year. Did you realise he'd also exhibited in Moscow this year, George? No. no. Yeah, Moscow. I didn't even know there was a Moscow gardening show. Well, apparently there is, and he's exhibited there, and he got a special medal for a, a foreigner, I think. Um, wow. And the, he talked about um, his exhibit at uh, at moscow and his garden at uh, hampton court this year which was to do about age and aging which is something uh, none of us can escape no no <laughs> nor can any of the plants either <laughs> no they can't so uh, so here's the interview that i did with chris beardshaw so chris back at um, back at hampton court again third garden this year i believe there Third garden this year, yes. Uh, first one at uh, Chelsea at the beginning, oh, end of May, I should say, and um, a bit cooler uh, at that time of the year. You know, struggling to get plants to perform and trying to entice them out of winter dormancy at the beginning of May, which is a crazy situation to be in. Um, and we did very well at that one. And uh, for, for Arthritis Research UK, a, a gold medal and People's Choice there. Then we travelled to Moscow to the Moscow Flower Show, which is held in Gorky Park. It's only the second year it's been held, but it's their version of Chelsea Flower Show and a real emerging show. Great optimism and great enthusiasm for gardening over there and a, and a society who are becoming more and more interested in gardening and of course before the communist uh, era um, great links between the uh, Russian royal family and the British royal family and, and British gardens and they're rediscovering that now so wonderful show to go to we produced a large uh, English garden there um, uh, which is the brief that they asked us to fulfil and uh, we got um, uh, an exemplary medal there which was a, a special medal for international achievement for horticulture and then to come to Hampton Court this one's for McCarthy and Stone who are retirement uh, developers they build uh, retirement homes and flats and apartments, houses uh, to, to on, well on the basis that, that retirement doesn't mean that you have to sideline yourself or indeed be sidelined it's the idea that when you reach retirement in a way it's a, a point at which you celebrate the life lived but you start also living the life ahead and, uh, and that's really what this garden is about. It's why it's a garden of two parts. The inner circle is about the life lived, the richness and opulence. You see lots of blooms in there, roses, peonies, unadulterated, unabashed, full chroma, full texture, full impact. The outside is about the, the views that perhaps we have of the individual. The idea that if we meet somebody on the bus or we might pass them in the street, we look at them and we make almost... Uh, without thinking, we make uh, decisions, we make judgments on them. Exactly. And, and what we're suggesting here, because of the different style of planting outside, we're suggesting it's a, a, perhaps a risky thing to do. It's, it's a missed opportunity if you judge people and judge opportunities just on a snapshot. We're encouraging people to walk around to get a full view of the garden, to, to really get into that central section of the garden where the true value of the individual becomes obvious. All of the shots on the outside just give you little glimpses, teases and hints and, and entice you to walk in and make a, a closer connection with that individual. It's about trying to get the individual who is retired to communicate with the outside world and to share their experience and opportunities, the wealth of their life, 
but also to encourage those of us who haven't yet reached retirement to interact with those that are retire- retired and, and to, to really benefit from their wisdom and the opportunity that, that they offer. You know, society is really only complete when you have both ends of the spectrum, the young and the old, interacting properly together. And when you've done the gardening, have you involved any, any of the older generation in its design or build? Well, you might have just seen, actually, um, the photo call that was just taking place. We've had uh, two really important ambassadors for, for McCarthy & Stone who have been instrumental not just in McCarthy & Stone but also in the, 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 the atmosphere uh, that this garden has been created around. And that's we had uh, John Ellis, who was the uh, guitarist of the Stranglers, and uh, we had um, uh, uh, Mary Peters as well, Dame Mary Peters, who is, of course, Olympian, and, uh, and she was on the garden to... Uh, a fantastic gardener, very enthusiastic gardener. Uh, she was on the garden uh, to, to talk about her work with uh, McCarthy & Stone. We've used the voices of some of the residents and some of the ambassadors of McCarthy & Stone in not just the development of the garden, but playing in the garden. So as you migrate around this inner circle where you've really started to get to know the individual, you hear the stories being told, being told on three strands. There are three narratives that we wanted to suggest were good linkage points between society and the retired individual. And they're represented in the deck chairs that you see on the side here. There's three deck chairs and uh, one has uh, ladies' fashions on. The, the idea that anyone who is uh, living with, uh, in a McCarthy and Stone uh, building uh, could have been born as early as 1920. You think about the, the stylistic and fashion change between 1920 and now, and that's what's represented on the deck chairs. It's a key point of, of narrative, really. Uh, the next one is about architectural transformation. Uh, we've chosen pictures of uh, Selfridges in London from the day it was completed, uh, right up through the, the bombing in the Second World War and the Blitz, up to its rebuild, and then, of course, its heyday and the glitz and glamour of the 60s and 70s and, and up to today. And then the third strand, which represents is represented by the third pathway into the garden, is uh, of technology and technological change that many of the retired generation have either witnessed or have been involved and instrumental in. Uh, so we see everything from uh, microchips to aerosols, atomic bombs, tanks, crosswords and even the slinky chain, all, all invented in that period and many, many more things of course too. And the, the point is that we're, we're trying to demonstrate to the younger generation what retired people have contributed and why we should communicate and learn from them. They've got so much to offer, we've got so much to learn and they have also much to, learn to, much to learn from us. And we're all going to get there ourselves one day. We're all going to get there. And after doing a few show gardens, <laughs> three show gardens, I can assure you I feel much closer to it now than I did at the beginning of May. And the results have just been in, and yet again you've got a gold. Yes. Pick up a habit forming, isn't it? It's, it's nice, yeah. yeah. It's a well, nice habit to form. Now? You're going to need a bigger cabin yeah. to go <laughs> stick all these things. Need a bigger mantelpiece to put them on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, we always say that the most important thing is that the, the message... Uh, is portrayed and uh, people who visit the show and, and view the garden and, and go into the garden understand what it is you're trying to say. That's the most important thing, really. That's the reason that we're here. Um, you know, the secondary thing is, of course, uh, uh, supplementary, which is, you know, if you're judged by the uh, the judges in the RHS to have reached that the gold medal standard, then, of course, that's just the icing on the cake, isn't it? But we chase, we chase uh, the story first and then hope that the medals follow. And, and that's, that's something that we've... You know, always try to do and always try to be true with um, that. I think if you go in pursuit of gold medals, then uh, in gardens it does. Yeah, I think you you lose your direction. You can be swayed by uh, by the whims and changes of, of various fashions. I think you know, remaining true to the design style that you have and remaining true to the narrative your client gives you, and then hopefully the rest will follow. 
So, busy year this year, next year, will we see you again at Chelsea perhaps or Hampton? Yeah, maybe. 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 Uh, you know, it's a bit early to or say at the moment. <laughs> well, do you know, I don't know. I think at this point, um, as you reach the sort of towards the end of the show season, you start to think, well, maybe, maybe you take a break next year. And then somebody comes along and tempts you and you think, well, you know, what's the harm? How difficult can it be? And so you end up doing another one and, and you know, throwing yourself into it with increasing gusto. Well, and we'd love to see you again next year if you do come. <laughs> and um, beautiful gardens. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Tatton Garden show this year was um, also followed on with the three sort of grow, inspire and escape sort of design concepts. Although to me it worked better at Tatton. And they have a theme every year. This year they went for galaxy gardens, which were trying to pick up a theme of space, astronomy. I really love the gardens. And out of four, sorry, out of five gardens they had there, four of them got golds. Wow. Yeah, amazing. I always used to like the little Surreau gardens they had at Tatton. They used to call them the back-to-back gardens, and they'd have two or four gardens back-to-back. This year they didn't do that. They had them isolated on their own. And none of them, I don't think any of them got gold. And the judges were saying they think the problem is, if you look at a garden from four different angles, it's very, very difficult to make it look good from all different directions if you haven't got a wall or butting it up against something else. Is that something you'd have thought of? I suppose you've got to make it look good from the main angle of viewing. But if the main angle, instead of just having one main angle of viewing, you've got four, that really gives quite a challenge, doesn't it? Well, you want it to look visually pleasing from wherever you look, don't you? But that's difficult. It is difficult. Speaking to uh, one of the um, judges at the RHS show, um, they seem to think next year they might rethink this because obviously the plan they had didn't work out very well. Another common feature at the Tatton Park Flower Show that you don't see anywhere else is the council flower beds. Now, we had an interesting talk about this, didn't we, George? You're not very keen on that because you think the the money should be spent elsewhere. But the flower beds this year were stunning. I don't know if you've seen them on TV. We've got some of the photos on our Facebook page you can have a look at. I like the flower beds, actually. So it's, it's, you're talking about seasonal bedding again? You yeah, you, it, yeah, it's the sort of things you see on roundabouts around the country, yeah. bedding plants, but planted out against a theme. One of them was a bath, and it had a couple of ducks in there and the two taps. Yeah. Another one was a, a, a mock-up of a, a whole park with a bandstand and some small trees. Another was a railway crossing, and Birmingham City Council did a lovely one of a, a narrowboat going through a lock. So, again, going back to the same old argument, these are all uh, seasonal plants or annual plants that they grow each year and then they chuck them away at the end of the year, yeah? Uh, that's right, yes. Yeah, I don't approve them, sorry. Well, we all have our own, um, our own take on that, George. Um, if any of you um, have got a take on this, then please let us know. Email us at podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. I can see this... Um, discussion going on for many months george let's take geraniums as an example people often grow geraniums sometimes from seed every year now you can at the end of the year i've done it um with various clients this year where we've overwintered geraniums in a in a garage with no light just cut them back leave them in the garage all winter don't water them and they're actually growing again and flowering again this summer whereas Plenty of people would have thrown them away, and dare I say it, a few councils as well. Now, are you talking geranium or are you talking pelagonium? Yeah, geranium being the common name, pelagonium being the 
uh, Latin name. Yeah, because geraniums tend to be more hardy. You can leave them out. Yeah, well, yeah, geraniums uh, are hardy plants. I'm talking about the uh, pelagoniums, which are the common name for which is geranium. All very confusing. It is indeed, isn't it? We do have an article on the website which tries to explain a bit about pelagoniums and geraniums. There will be links to it in the show notes, and the show notes you can get at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 5. One final thing, during the show at RHS Tatton, I bumped into the RHS Director General, Sue Biggs, and I managed to get an interview with her, but we're going to keep that back and uh, hold that for next month. So something to look forward to. We've got a special interview, I think it's a bit of a scoop really, with a top dog at RHS, Sue Biggs. Excellent, Richard. Well, I'm not sure she'd be uh, too pleased of you calling her the top dog. Well, <laughs> top head honcho, top dog, numero uno, however you refer to it, she's she's the big cheese, isn't she? Yes, apparently so. And a jolly pleasant lady, a really good interview. Very good. I look forward to listening to it. This month, our plant of the month is Helenium morum beauty, or commonly known as Helen's flower. Do you want to uh, tell us a bit about why you chose this plant, George? Yeah, just to pronounce it properly so we're clear with everyone, it's called Helenium morheim beauty, common name Helen's flower. Uh, there's a bit of history to this flower going back a very long way because Greek mythology suggests that uh, it actually grew or Hellenium grew from the tears of Helen of Troy, who was abducted by Paris, and it started the Trojan War. So some very interesting history there. This particular one, Moorheim Beauty, has very uh, colourful flowers. They're a coppery red, they're daisy-like, and they have a distinctive dark brown centre. It's a hardy perennial, and it can grow up to one metre tall, and about half of that in diameter. The flowers are very attractive to bees and butterflies, and uh, you can also cut the flowers, and they'll last a long time in a vase. In terms of the site that you need, ideally you want to grow it in full sun. Uh, The soil should be moist, but not hold on to the water too much, so well-drained as well. And uh, you can always tell a really good plant because this one as amongst the others holds the rhs award of garden merit and that's something that the rhs do they test a plant and plants they find that are reliable and perform well in a variety of conditions generally without any problems they'll give it an award of garden merit you know if you get a plant which you've got that award chances are it'll do well in your garden so it's had to go through quite a rigorous selection process to uh, get that award bit like The Apprentice for Plants. <laughs> Very good. Perfect pairing. Our perfect pairing for this month, July 2013, are Eryngium borgatii, which is a sea holly, a striking blue, it's a bit thistle-like foliage and flowers, and the Achillea millifolium red velvet. What's your thoughts on these two, George? Well, the Eryngium borgatii, these are very fashionable plants at the moment, the, the sea hollies. This one in particular, I particularly like, I, you know, Richard, I like all um, naturally occurring species that can 
hold their own against the uh, cultivated varieties that man has introduced. So any naturally occurring species that can do well against the others is a favourite of mine. Again, it's a, a fully hardy perennial, and they're very distinctive plants because they have these uh, very spiky bracts that surround the, the central cone of flowers. It's um, fully hardy, and it flowers in July and August. It needs uh, full sun, and the soil that you grow uh, Eryngium borgatii in has to be very freely drained, and it needs to be almost on the poor side, so you wouldn't want to plant it in a normal, rich loam in the garden. It almost wants a poor, really poor soil to grow in to thrive. I suppose the common name, sea holly, does that give an indication of where it's usually found then, by the seaside? I'm not sure exactly where it's from, Richard. I'd have to look that up. Because uh, I'm just thinking, if it's found by the seaside, traditionally then you've got sand dunes and things, the ground there would be probably more sandy than most places, which would mean it would be very, very free-draining. Yes, of course, but there are many eryngiums, so um, I'm sure they're not all from uh, the seaside. But yeah, that's certainly something we can investigate for next time. Yeah, that will be interesting. We'll have to make a note for that. Okay, and then we're going to look... Um, the other plant in the pairing was... Um, the Achillea millifolium red velvet. Yeah, now this one, we decided to contrast the two here, didn't we? Because the Eryngium has bright blue flowers uh, with that metallic appearance. And the Achillea, I think we've chosen red velvet in this situation... Uh, the, the contrast between the red and the blue is quite striking. I think you've got it in your own garden. You? I have. I've got the two of them. Um, I think the first time I saw that was at the Tatton Park Flower Show a year or two ago, and I've spotted the combination in quite a few show gardens. And to me, I love them. I, I like the Achillea, but the Eryngium with its really blue foliage and flowers and then the flat, really vivid red. Um, it's an umbrella for isn't it? A sort of flat... Yeah, top to the yeah. uh, Achillea. The two complement each other so well, and I love them. And the bees, they really love the Eryngium. It is swarming with bees in the afternoons. Yes, and both plants are also very attractive to butterflies and hoverflies. And going back to the Achillea red velvet, it, it wants um, a slightly better soil. You can adapt the soil for each plant in the planting hole, of course, but also, again, freely drained. Uh, it wants full sun again, and it flowers from May until August. It uh, grows to a height of about 60 centimetres and a spread of 50 centimetres. And you talked about the flower structure, Umbellifera. It has many tiny flowers, and they're clustered together in a structure that looks a bit like an umbrella. The flowers are bright red, and they have a yellow centre. Beautiful. I do like the Achillea. And an interesting fact, the Achillea is named after Achilles, where I believe it was in the Iliad where uh, Achilles soldiers used it to treat their wounds. Blimey, there's a lot of Greek mythology um, in this month's podcast, Richard. There is, isn't there? Both plants, we've got a photo on our website of the combination of the Eryngium and the Achillea, which you can find at plantadvice.co.uk, episode 5. Jobs to do in the garden. Jobs to do in the garden, George. There's always lots to do in the garden, and especially at this time of year. What do you think are the key things we should be concentrating on? Um, some plants this month can be propagated from semi-right cuttings. Some of the shrubs, some shrubs will have 
new shoots on them um, that don't have any flowers on and they're shoots that were produced in March or April and they've had time in the last two or three months to semi-ripen. So those particular shoots can be cut off below a pair of leaves, dipped in some hormone rooting powder uh, and then put into a pot of potting compost and then put in a cold frame, which should be in a shady area. You don't want it to get uh, too hot in that cold frame. And they should root possibly in time for the autumn or certainly in time for next spring. And if people haven't got hormone rooting powder, will they work? Will they take one out? Yes, but I think the chances of them rooting it are increased by using that hormone rooting powder. But yeah, many plants will strike, is the, is the word for rooting and cutting, even without the hormone rooting powder. Another job this month, if you're going away, it's really important that uh, if you've got particular precious plants in your garden to make sure that they're watered whilst you're away. Very true. We Um, all, um, in the British climate, a lot of the plants we have are annuals, we plant out, and we can spend a lot of money on these plants. So you don't want to find you going away two weeks, come back and find your entire stock of hanging baskets or pots have died. Yeah, and the the, the, mo- the most susceptible plants, of course, are the ones that are in containers or pots or troughs or hanging baskets. They are the most susceptible because their roots are restricted to the pots, of course. Any plants in the open soil, their roots can go a long way in search of water. So ask a neighbour to help you. We have um, an article on our website about watering whilst you're away. And another way I thought of of watering your potted plants while you're away is you can buy these cheap um, paddling pools. Now, if you buy a a shallow paddling pool and fill it up with water just before you go away and then get all your pots and, and leave them in there while you're away for a couple of weeks, they should have enough water in there while you're on holiday. That's a brilliant idea. I like that, George. We'll have to add that to the article on the website. If you want to check that article out, it's a very useful article, a few tips and tricks, and some excellent little products you can buy which can automate your watering. You can find that on our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash watering. Also this month, Richard, some of the summer flowering shrubs have just finished. Uh, today, for example, I was pruning a Wygelia all the flowering shoots had finished, so they all had spent flowers on them. And amongst those were the younger shoots, which were produced this year, that have no flowers on. So the idea is that you prune off the shoots that are two years old and they have the spent flowers on, leaving the shoots that have no flowers on to flower next summer. That's a very key tip, isn't it? I think the uh, uneducated amateur gardener that's perhaps learning, someone like me, that doesn't really know the tricks about pruning, you just get out there with some secateurs and you can end up doing damage taking off this year's shoots, which will flower next year or would flower next year, and then next year you get left with a tree which just doesn't seem to be flowering very well. That's right. That's one of the most common questions about shrubs is why isn't it flowering? Well, very often it's because whoever owns that shrub has been pruning pruning all the shoots off that are about to flower the next year overzealous yeah and often done with a hedge trimmer as well aren't they (laughs) shaped rather than cultivated for the flowers yeah so there's some um, thought that goes into pruning yeah so should we talk about what to do in the vegetable garden this month yes Um, you can sow seeds outside of lettuce radish onions and spinach there's loads of harvesting to do this month with french beans 
tomatoes, onions, radishes, carrots, beetroots, cauliflowers, lettuce, cucumbers, potatoes, Swiss chard, celery, sweet corn, aubergines, peppers and pumpkins. In my own garden at the moment, I've got my hands full just picking raspberries. I don't like netting the raspberries to keep the birds off. I'm so surprised bird, you've got any left then. The, no, the birds seem more interested actually in, I've got um, a large potted blueberry that they seem more interested in the blueberries than the raspberries and a lot of the blueberries aren't even ripe yet. I saw a blackbird taking green blueberries from the plant the other day. So in preference of ripe strawberries? Right, ripe, ripe uh, raspberries. Sorry, ripe, yeah. Ripe, yeah, raspberries. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've got more than enough raspberries for the blackbirds to have a few. And I'd much rather have that they pinch a few than see a, a blackbird trapped in a net. That's a horrible thing to have to... This uh, is very true. Yeah, very true indeed. Yeah. I don't think everybody thinks your way, but I admire you for thinking that way, George. Yeah, I, I, I've always been a, a member of the RSPB, Richard, and I, I don't like... Uh, the idea of birds getting trapped in netting in my garden. Well, if we can work with nature and we can all share and we all get a bit, then that's ideal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Plants of note. Now, plants of note. We've got two plants we've chosen this month for July. They are Acanthus mollis, which is sometimes known as bear's breeches, and Dicentra, king of hearts, which is also called a bleeding heart. Yeah, so we're starting with the Acanthus mollis, the Dicentra king of hearts as well. Both of these are excellent plants if you're looking for something to plant in partial shade. The Acanthus mollis, a bit like the Eryngium that we talked about earlier, is a very architectural plant. It's a lovely, very deep, glossy, jagged foliage, and it can grow up to one and a half metres in height. It needs quite deep, fertile soil, and it has those white flowers with a very distinctive purple hood on the top. They do look stunning, and I know what you mean by architectural. They really are very big plants. I do have an acanthus in the garden, but I can't be 100% certain which particular variety it is. I'm not sure it could be an acanthus mollis or it could be acanthus spinosus, but it's certainly one of them, and I love it. It's very nice, but it is quite prickly. Yes, going back to the shade, having to grow them in shade, the leaves will actually scorch sometimes if you plant them in full sun. They really don't like it that much. Didn't realise that. It's fully hardy and it's a great plant for a real visual hard-hitting impact. It can. It really makes striking impact, can't it? Yeah, that's right. Going on to the Dicentra, King of Hearts. I love Dicentras. They have that locket-like flower. You can't believe that it's... The it's shape natural. of it is like yeah. a heart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's it's very, it's almost like a piece of jewellery in its shape, isn't it? It is. You can yeah. almost imagine it around a, a lady's neck, on the end of a chain. It could. This particular one is quite unusual because King of Hearts, because it only grows to about twenty-five centimetres tall. Um, it's more of a ground cover plant because it can grow up to nearly twice um, that dimension in terms of width. You grow it in full sun or partial shade. It needs similar soil to the acanthus being moist, humus-rich. And actually, this month, it's coming towards the end of its flowering period because it's flowered right the way from May to August. And the flowers are a deep crimson colour. And the the foliage is very feathery and grey-green in colour. So both of these plants that that we've talked about, the foliage is almost as much a... A feature of the two plants is the flowers. 
although from a scale perspective, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Acanthus is really tall architectural, and as you say, the Dicentra is a low sort of ground-hugging... Um, yeah, so if you've got a site in semi-shade and you, you want a bit of colour at this time of year to improve it, you can plant the acanthus at the back and, and have the dicentra creeping around in the front. It would look rather nice. Two very nice plants. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for this month. Thank you for listening. If you've got any questions that you'd like to uh, have answered, then please email us at podcast at plantadvice.co.uk and we shall do our best to answer your questions in a forthcoming episode. Um, You can check out the show notes for this episode online at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 5. If you uh, listen to us or found us on iTunes, please leave us a rating. We'd like to know how we're doing and how we can improve. You can find us there at plantadvice.co.uk slash iTunes. You can also find us online at a few places, such as Twitter at plantadvice or Facebook via facebook.com slash plantadvice or on YouTube at youtube.com slash plantadvice. There's a recurring theme there, isn't there, George? Yeah, it's good to have all this social networking, though, Richard. It is. So please contact us and uh, and chat with us online. We'd love to hear from you. If you want, you can always get our email newsletter directly to your inbox every month with a selection of tips and tricks, some more that we've got from here and some more plants. You can find us via plantadvice.co.uk slash subscribe. And when you do subscribe, there's a free ebook you can get from us. It's a PDF on how to get the perfect lawn written by George and myself. So thanks ever so much for listening. We hope you tune in again next month. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.